Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Katie. And you're listening to I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. A horror movie podcast. If you are a fan of the show, please like and follow us on iTunes and Spotify and review us. It'll help spread the word. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at I'm Not Scared, You're Scared or email us at I'm Not Scared, You're Scared at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's actually nighttime. I was thinking that on my way down tonight, that we haven't recorded at actual nighttime for a long time. I want to say at least six months. Which is good because we needed a really spooky setting for this movie. Oh, yeah. I needed a glass of wine to calm my nerves. <laughs> You're like, no shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm super stoked. This is one of my favorite oh, movies. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, scary movies. Where, of course, we're talking about Sinister... Came out in when? 2012? Yeah, 2012. Oh, I just made that up. (laughs) Worked out. Um, But before we dive into that, uh, what's new with you, Katie? Ooh, Meredith, it's Lent. Ew. I don't know if you know it, but it is officially Lent. I know. I saw all the people with... Ash Wednesday, ashes on their forehead. Yeah, yeah, we had um, our whole school mass on Wednesday um, and got our foreheads dirty as a a community. Um, And the thing about Lent is when I was a kid, although I was raised Catholic and we were at, at different periods of my childhood, we were more or less active church goers. We all, you know, did all of our sacraments and checked all the boxes and everything. But there were definitely times when we were less... Um, vigilant with our attendance. Um, but uh, as an adult, this whole thing of like Lenten observance and the fasting and everything, um, for a long time, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm going to give up alcohol or I'm going to give up one year. Oh my God, when my kids were little, I gave up Starbucks uh, for a What are you trying to prove? I don't know. But then <laughs> it, it, it became kind of more a part of the dialogue. And actually, our pastor's sermon on Wednesday was about this about how people kind of appropriate their Lenten fast to fit some other agenda. And so it's like, I'm giving up alcohol so that I lose weight. I'm giving up candy because I like a, it's like a dieting tactic or it's it's something where the purpose isn't to, you know, show to deny your something to show your you know love for God or whatever. But it's like, oh, I'm going to use this as an extra motivator to achieve this uh, secondary goal. And the problem with that. So I, you know, was kind of trying to decide, like, oh, am I, you know, am I going to give something up this year? And if so, trying to think of something that I could give up that would actually be a sacrifice for myself, like something that I enjoy and that I like, but that wouldn't benefit fit me by giving it up you know that's hard <laughs> and it's like everything that I enjoy and like is it's bad, bad for, for me <laughs> that's like <laughs> true for most people I know I feel like those things go hand in hand you like it because it's not good for you and you shouldn't be doing it yeah um yeah. and so I'm in kind of this pickle where it's now you know the third day of Lent and I actually haven't decided what I'm giving up yet um you know I've been drinking this whole time so I can't give up alcohol I've had pizza already can't give that up Um, You know, and there are times when I'm like, oh, I could try giving up social media, but that's a a major part of my communication with a lot of the people in my life. So it's not just an unhealthy obsession, which it is. Um, But it's also, you know, it's a communications tool that I don't I wouldn't want to necessarily just cut out. Yeah. Um, So give up scary movies. 
I mean, yeah, how could I possibly do that? It'll sell your, no more selling your mind. Yeah. And then I was like starting to think about like my students and like what I could give up in terms of, you know, better serving them, like give up yelling at them, like that's not going to happen. But yeah, so I I still, and at this point, it's unlikely that I'll actually pick anything or that anything remains that I could potentially pick that I haven't already broken. Although you can always, you know, start at whatever point you get there. It's not like it's meaningless just because you didn't do it on day one. Yeah, Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I washed my forehead and now we're here. Well, that sounds uh, tumultuous. I mean, it's a real roller coaster. (laughs) Being a Catholic is very complicated. Chocolate! Too late, eat chocolate. Too late. (laughs) Already did it. Yeah. Wine, you're like taking little bird sips. Yeah, yeah. It's like like I'm not even having it. Jesus drank wine? Come on. I know. Anyway. Well. Um, What's new with you? (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, honestly, I'm thinking of like, I don't think it. I can't think of anything. Yeah, I can't think of anything that I would be reluctant to give up that wouldn't actually make me better or healthier in some way. Yeah. No more extra miles on your runs. Yeah, like, oh, got to give up broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get more unhealthy for God. But I like broccoli. Well, but how much do you like Not as much as wine. (laughs) Yeah, that's true for everyone. Uh, what's with me? Well, I turned 40. Last <gasps> what? Week, last Saturday. Oh my God. Now Actually, we're no, both was, 40. That was not my birthday. <laughs> no, that was your party. <laughs> that was my party. I turned 40 on uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, I had the big event on Saturday with my party and it was really fun and you made an amazing cakes and uh, everyone had a fun time. It was there so was much like fun. Wine and like the and number of people food. that showed up, like everybody loves you. Oh, it was I was so like, nice. damn, I couldn't fill a room like this <laughs> with people that wanted to come celebrate my I birthday. Know. Yeah, it was really fun. And, and I enjoyed that everyone came and had a good time. And, uh, you know, it didn't seem like a, a slog when you go to a party, you're like, Ugh, I have to go to this to go yet? shit. <laughs> right. It, it seemed like people were genuinely enjoying each other's company. We had a lot of fun stuff planned yeah. for people to do, but not like in an invasive like you have to do this you know obligatory get out your bingo card (laughs) right and um so i thought it was fun i thought it was a great party yeah it was super cool really cool decorations and uh our engineer good good smoked meat he made smoked meats and a lot of his family came up from like los angeles and san diego like what like six people or um his aunt and then his uncle Chris and his wife as well, and then his mom um, and his sister. His mom and sister, and then some family f- who live in Marin uh, mm-hmm. County, and they came o- uh, over as well. So. And his friend, that's a photographer. Does she live up here now, or did she come from? No, down she's, not, she's in San Diego as wow. well. So a lot of people came, and uh, it was really cool. And we're gonna get she uh, Haley. She's uh, took our game engagement photos the following day. Oh, awesome! And then. Um, the photos at the party so mm. it, it was really nice to feel like i'm not one to really take out my camera and take pictures right in me the neither. moment and i'm um, always mad after well it's, it's sort of like it feels like i'm not going to post it on social media like look how much fun i'm having can't you see all the fun <laughs> Hashtag like, fun. so much fun <laughs> i just really value spending my time in the moment with mm-hmm. people i care about but at the same time i really appreciate photos 
of that moment in time with my friends and my family mm-hmm. and my children who are changing all the time. Yeah. Um, so it was really nice. And she she was there to take photos of the party. So I'm excited. We'll get them in a, yeah. like a few weeks. So yeah, cool. I, I took that stand or like had that mentality when my son had his first communion. And I didn't take a single picture. Yeah. I have zero pictures of his first communion. And like my mom was there. And she's dead now. So yeah. there's like no pictures of anything. Yeah. And like partly they don't allow you to take pictures in the church during the ceremony. Sure, as, sure, um, yeah. But like nothing. So I, yeah. I managed to scrape together a couple of ones that he was in that his friend's parents took of mm-hmm. him. But like none of him with any of his own family members or with us or anything. Yeah, it's 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 hard. Like you want to live in the moment. Yeah. And then you also have to realize people won't be there forever. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's like you want to capture it, but not in an obnoxious way where it's invading your own, like, experience. Right. Well, yeah, it's you don't hard. want it to become about the pictures instead of the experience. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to, exactly. like, walk that line. Yeah, it's hard. Um, so, <laughs> in some... Summary. I'm yeah. glad she was in here, so I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that the having the photo booth, like you guys did, and that anytime you have that, that's a good balance because doing the photo booth is part of the experience mm-hmm. of like getting the group together, and if there happens to be props or whatever, and like the poses and everything, actually doing that yeah. is fun, and then yes. you also get the record in addition. Yeah. Yeah. I made some fun props too. Yeah, you did. I made them by hand. Uh huh. By printing them out and cutting them out and yeah. putting them popsicle sticks. It <laughs> so did like the Hannibal really Lecter cool. mask. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was really fun. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm coughing. But um, yeah, great, great party. And the next big thing is planning a wedding. So yeah, we, we have like just a, year. a small step up. <laughs> just a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's about it for me. But you did the summary this time. I did, um, yes. Of like one of my most favorite. Yeah, which is funny because this one um, came out, I think, before you and I really started seeing movies together, because I know I did not see it with you. I saw it with um, my best friend Hillary. Um, and I remember walking out. So we saw it at the Century in Daly City and we exited on that like second level and we saw a matinee. And when we came outside, I was so thankful it was daytime <laughs> because the idea of leaving the theater after that movie at night, I can't mm-hmm. even imagine yeah. I was so terrified. I think um, we probably <clears throat> were seeing some movies at that point because I see on my memories some movies that are like, it was like 10 years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, this is stuff, more than 10 years ago, 2012. Oh, well, I guess that's true. Yeah. So it must have been made before. Yeah. yeah. You're right. And even if it was around the same time, we just weren't, you know, seeing every scary movie together. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, 2012 is when Sinister <laughs> came out. It starred um, most notably Ethan Hawke. Um, and then in a kind of, you know, a little bit of a secondary role, but um, ends up a little bit stealing the show. And I'll talk more about him later because we love him for other reasons is James Ranson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what I did love when I went to rewatch this to write the synopsis is I, you know, pulled out my trusty DVD and popped it in and had to click through. It didn't. It's one of those DVDs where you push the menu button and it goes, you can't do that. And so you have mm-hmm. to like click, like skip through each trailer individually to get to the menu. The trailers on this DVD included the Alexandra Daddario Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. Oh, yes. It had The Possession, which is a movie I absolutely love that I didn't realize until this trailer popped back up. Sam Raimi directed. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Then it had the Haunting in Connecticut movie that Virginia Madsen made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then The Last Exorcism. 
Oh. I was like, so you can tell that it's the best horror movie ever made because the trailers on it are all, like, really great horror movies. <laughs> You're like, top tier, S tier Absolutely. <laughs> got the best of the best for the previews. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got to the venue and was able to start the movie, um, so the scene that it opens on is grainy home video footage that is showing four people standing beneath a tree branch. And they're noosed to it with hoods over their faces. And you can see a pole saw. Operated by an unseen person who's in the tree, sawing away at another branch. And when they're done sawing, the four people are lifted up into the air and we watch them slowly strangle. And so all of this is just like very, um, you know, kind of uh, out of focus, off center, grainy, like handheld, not high quality video footage. It's a eight millimeter. Yeah, I think. And. There's also the weird music, too. Yeah. This scene actually is largely quiet Mm -hmm. Um, when they show, like... Oh, was it? Yeah. Um, You hear the the running of the film in Mm -hmm. the projector, but they don't really introduce the, like, super unsettling music yet at this point. Um, So the next scene that we go to, it switches to a family that's moving into a new house. And our family is Dad Ellis, or Ellison, um, who is Ethan Hawke. And then his wife, Tracy, and their kids, Trevor and Ashley. Um, As they're moving in, the sheriff, who's played by none other than Fred Thompson... Um, shows up to speak to Ellison and through their antagonistic conversation we learn that Ellison is a true crime writer and the sheriff is not happy that he's come to their town for his next book. Right, yeah. He's like, he has a very southern accent. Yeah, and he's like, what could I do to get you to leave? (laughs) I mean, he was amazing. I mean, I don't, I'm not a big fan of his politics in real life, but him on Law & Order, he was incredible. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he was the district attorney for a while on the original Law & Order. Mm -hmm. And he definitely has a a carriage and a demeanor that's perfect for a lot of roles. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, when Ellison is talking with him, he references a missing girl and the sheriff asserts that the girl isn't missing, that she's dead. And he remarks that Ellison's family moving into this particular house is in, quote, extremely bad taste. So when Ellison returns to Tracy, um, Tracy asks him, you know, did we move into a house a few houses down from a crime scene again? And Ellis assures them, assures her that they did not. Um, but back in the house, Ellis is gazing into the backyard and we see the tree from the opening video where the people are hung. Um, and we understand that the house is the crime scene. So I wrote, so he's that lying piece of shit. <laughs> Cause he's like, no, honey, we didn't move into a house two doors down from a crime scene. I know. I was like, Tracy, why don't you Google that shit? <laughs> right. And it's what like, she, hell? you know, doesn't <clears throat> want to know him. Yeah. I don't know, but as soon as they buy a house, he's like, hey, I have this idea. I'd be Googling that address. and be like, For what sure. happened in this place? Yeah, especially it's not her first rodeo. But, and I will say, like, uh, you know, as a preview, there's a lot of their marital dynamic and their conflict and tension in their relationship that is present throughout the movie and um, makes up some pretty significant scenes. But I didn't really, you know include that in the synopsis because it wasn't it didn't seem to me to be like a really crucial part of the plot of the horror angle yeah yeah. um but it's really i mean it is really well written and really well performed so it's not like it's throwaway parts of the movie um but i i had to cut things somewhere (laughs) essentially she's like i'm gonna trust you and he's like just takes advantage of it yeah well and you know he's a true crime writer who writes about horrible horrible things and she as you know maybe she's not a true crime lover i don't know but just as an average 
average woman, wife, mother, I don't know what else she does. She's like, you know what? I don't need to know. Like, I'd mm-hmm. rather not know. You do your grotesque, gruesome thing, and um, I'm here for you. I support you, but I don't need to know. And this is, like, pretty, da- you know, down the road in his career in this field. And so I could see her having gotten to that point. Yeah, because he's written many books. Yeah. Several, several books. Yeah. So. Um, so next, Ellison heads up into the attic of the house to store something, and he sees in the middle of the vast empty space a lone file box. And in it, he finds an old reel-to-reel projector and a collection of, like you said, 8 millimeter reels that are labeled with various family-type activities and years. Um, so later that night, he's setting up in his office. And he's pinning up case photos, um, we assume from the case that he's writing about in his new book. Uh, one of them is a family of five with a note pointing to a young daughter that says, where are you? And so mm-hmm. we're like, OK, so this is who he was talking about when he was speaking with the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Um, and as he con- continues to go through stuff, he comes across a photo of the attic of the house. So it's kind of like after the crime, when they were just the police were just taking photos of every part of the house. There was a photo of the attic um, and it was completely empty. And so he questions at that point how the box he found came to be up there if it wasn't there when the police emptied the house. Yeah, yeah. So he decides to set up the projector. He cues up one reel. And as it starts, it's footage of a family enjoying a sunny day outdoors in their backyard. And though there's no audio on the reel, we experience this eerie, unsettling soundtrack to this viewing. And this is you know, ends up being a consistent thing throughout the rest of the film. And it's it it varies a little bit from film to film and setting to setting, but it's one of the most excellent parts of this movie. It's so... It, like, made my stomach hurt yeah. when I first watched this. Yeah, some of it doesn't even feel like music because it's just a, a bizarre combination of sound effects, but with a tempo. Mm-hmm. And it, it's some of it is, like... A little bit of drumming or sometimes it's the, you know, you always hear like that, the running of the projector or humming. Yeah. Or like chanting. It's so upsetting. And like I said, it's it's slightly different. Like with each film that they watch or different scenes in the movie, it's not always exactly the same. And that Mm -hmm. almost makes it scarier. Yeah. Yeah. Because every time it's something new. It's horrifying. (laughs) And and just so, yeah, I remember when I first watched it, like I was by myself. I can't remember. Yeah, I was by myself watching this and I had gotten it. It just came out on streaming or something. I don't Mm -hmm. think I saw it in the theater. I'm like 100% sure I didn't because it was was alone. And I think I had put the kids to bed. I was watching it by myself. It was dark. I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is making my stomach hurt. (laughs) I want to mute this. Yeah. And... I couldn't stop it, though, because I wanted to see what happens. Oh, so good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so it's kind of like, even though it's got this eerie music, it's cheerful footage. This family's outdoors on a beautiful day, playing around. There's a tire swing, you know, parents and kids. Um, But then the reel cuts abruptly to the footage that we saw at the opening of the film of the four people being hung from the tree. Um, so I put that Ellis throws back a stiff one, <laughs> steals himself and returns to view the film again. So he starts it over from the beginning and this time through he's viewing it through his investigative lens, posing again the question to himself, where is Stephanie? Because she is, you know, the family on the film is the family from the house that they are living in. Um, where four of them were killed in the mm-hmm. backyard and Stephanie disappeared. And who took this fo- film? Yeah. Who took it? Yeah. All kinds of questions. So many questions. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's doing the hard work uh, watching this film because he he's trying to solve a, a, a mystery, a crime. Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, after a little bit of a break, he's, um, he goes in the backyard at, you know, this is all nighttime checking out the tree. Um, he has a little midnight chat with his daughter, Ashley, when she gets lost on the way to the bathroom in the new house. Um, and then he cues up another film, a second film. This one shows, um, a different family fishing at a river. So the same kind of like lighthearted family trip footage before cutting and to they're like in the 70s yeah I think. yeah it's they, a they, different time period they have definite 70s hair yeah well and the reels are labeled with yes. it with oh, the yeah, years right. where um the films are taken right, right um so it's again an abrupt cut from the happy family fishing trip to footage of um the family station wagon inside a garage covered in chains and doused in gasoline and lit on fire with the family members bound and gagged inside yeah that was insane yeah and it's, it's just like, you know, it's handheld video footage of somebody walking around this car that has been prepared in this way with these people inside um, and then the lighting of the car on fire. Um, the audio for this scene is like even more upsetting than the last one. It's got this distorted, like kind of static effect. Um, so at this point, now that Allison has seen these two films are like two separate films of separate people getting killed not just the murder in the house that he already knows about um and it's you know the seriousness of what he's finding he calls the police um but while he's on hold and before he can make the report you know he's in his office his gaze falls on copies of kentucky blood uh which was his one big hit book 10 years ago true crime book um whose success he's been chasing ever since like none of the books that he's written since then have come anywhere close um, to the the impact that Kentucky Blood had. And so you mm-hmm. can kind of see the wheels turning in his head of like, maybe this is my chance. Yeah, I could be on to something yeah. through these snuff films. Maybe <laughs> right? I can find some. Yeah, so um, he hangs up the phone, uh, does not report to the police what he's found, and cues up another phone. Um, but before he can watch the third reel, uh, he hears a noise um, and starts, you know, kind of following it through the dark house, looking for the source. Uh, he comes upon a moving box um, off, you know, down a little bit of a hall with like, you know, some some very eerie lighting on it. And as he approaches, it slowly opens and his son, Trevor, bursts out upside down and screaming. And so in the moment, like it's absolutely terrifying, the visual like you don't know what is fucking happening. In reality, Trevor's just having an episode of night terrors, which is something that he's experienced in the past. Yeah. But us not having no clue about that. And Mm -hmm. all we see is a closed box. And then it's like, the flaps are slowly rising. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, bare torso of this boy bent over backwards, like exorcist style, is like flung out of the box, just screaming violently. It's like... Like a blood-curdling scream. and. It's a horrifying. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Very, very scary moment. Um, <clears throat> so the next day, uh, you know, so I guess he calls it a night at that point, but he returns to the reels the next day. Um, the next one that he watches is a fun family pool party that sharply turns to a bizarre nighttime scene where all the individuals are bound to patio lounge chairs and pulled into the pool, drowning one by one. Um, So it's, you know, another kind of mass murder scenario. And so all of these films start with happy family footage and then the murder of the entire family. And and it's it's almost thematic, like usually the the method of murder is somehow linked to the happy family activity Mm -hmm. um, that takes place at the beginning of the film. 
Um, and while he's watching it, Ellison glimpses in the water the image of this kind of ghost-faced man. Um, but he pauses it on the image and um, as staring at it, and he leaves the reel paused too long, which I don't know if this was supposed to be spooky or if this is just, I mean, this is the nature of old projectors. It overheats the film if the light is behind it the same spot for too long and it catches on fire. Um, and so the film burns, he rushes over, he blows it out. Um, he Googles how to edit Super 8 film. Um, he repairs the reel, but only a split second of the figure's face is left after the destroyed parts are cut away. Yeah, seeing that face in the pool was insane. Yeah. And, and so creepy. And there was a part where in the uh, um, in the director's notes or whatever it's called, the mm-hmm. um, the commentary uh-huh. where it's like at that point where he didn't turn the films over to the police he was like allowing that whatever that was mm-hmm. into his life yeah so he was able to see it at that point oh that makes sense yeah so yeah like, he'd oh. opened himself up to it yeah because he's like yeah not taking this stuff to the authorities like he should have mm-hmm. because he was trying to for, like in for, for personal gain exactly for himself yeah. And his first impulse was like, oh, my God, I need to tell the police about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, then that little, little voice in the back of his head of, you know, his own, his own this desires, his own goals. Yeah. Yeah. And his the years that he had struggled to, you know, regain the success of his first book and that like, you know, repeated kind of disappointment and sense of failure, like all just fed into him being like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So. And but I it, thought that was interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. And I was like, why now? Why yeah. the other ones? He didn't see it. That's and then, true. And this one he did. So. That's true. Um, in terms of what the the figure, the I call it the ghost face figure, because in some ways it looks a little bit like ghost face from Scream in terms of being the white face with the large black eyes, the black mouth. But shape wise, it almost looks a little bit like Venom from Spider-Man with like mm-hmm. the shape of the eyes and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's a really terrifying face. It's just a standard human form. And he's got kind of like long, greasy black hair. Um, but his face is really terrifying. He's a big chin as well. Big chin. <laughs> Yeah. He looks a little bit like the character in um, Insidious, the one that is like walking back and forth on the balcony and then mm-hmm. appears inside the bedroom. Yeah, the one in all black. He's yeah. like trying to kidnap the baby. Yeah, it reminds me yeah. of that guy too. But he's just really, obviously really, really scary looking. Yeah. Um, so that night, Ellison is back at it um, watching the films, but now he just starts digitally recording the films as he views the originals with his little handheld digital camera. Um So the next film he watches uh, shows an assailant walking through a dark house. So in this one, we actually don't. That's the only one that we don't see any happy family footage ahead of time. It jumps straight into the the murder footage. And the assailant is walking through a dark house, entering um, multiple individual bedrooms where family members are bound and gagged. And the assailant is slicing their throats with a giant knife, which I put this very Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and so he's like, okay, so there's another family being slaughtered. But in this film, you know, so we have super troubling music. Um, Ellis needs another drink. Um, and as he's reviewing the digital version of this film, he notices the presence of a bizarre symbol painted on a wall. So he kind of like pauses on that and takes a look at that. And then he also notes that there's something marked with um, the word St. Louis. So he notes the year off of the reel, which is labeled 1998. And he Googles it and he's able to find a new story about the slaughter of this family and learns that there was a missing child after that killing as well. Uh, but suddenly in his own home, the lights go out. 
great. That's always good. Um, and he start he's pursuing strange noises throughout the house um, before arming himself with a knife and venturing into the attic, which is where, you know, it seems the noises are coming from. Uh, he discovers a snake underneath a box lid. Um, and then after the snake is gone, he finds that there are children's drawings on the underside of the lid. All the drawings show one of the murder scenes from the films, and each uh, drawing includes a figure labeled Mr. Boogie. Boogie, like you know, like a booger. <laughs> or boogie like you're dancing, like Mr. Boogie. But it's like they're children's drawings. Like some of them are stick figures, some of the, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but each one is an image of the site with the the corpses present at each yeah. of the murder scenes with Mr. Boogie <sighs> somewhere in the in the setting. So we've seen Mr. Boogie in the pool. Yeah, so that's who that is, Mr. Boogie. Uh, then Ellison manages to fall through the hallway ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, they, uh, EMTs are here. They're dressing his wounds, um, that he sustained in his fall through the ceiling. And now we meet the deputy. Finally, James Ransom. He was in the scene before. He was, he was there before a couple of times, but this is the first time he, um, you know, comes into play with the story. You really meet him. I love him. I love him so much. Yes. Um, (laughs) and it turns, he is an Ellison Oswald super fan. Like he is a big, big admirer of Ellison. He asked for an autographed copy of Kentucky Blood um, and then when they're briefly in Ellison's office and he gets a look at everything he's so pumped he's like look you've got the red yarn with the thumbtacks to the different places like this is so cool mm-hmm. um, and he kind of communicates that he aspires to be Ellison's go-to guy you know like in the in acknowledgments of his book like deputy so-and-so from the whatever department Um and so to oblige, you know, and, and to get some help, Ellison gives him locations and dates for some of the crimes and asks the deputy to find street addresses for the homes. Um, meanwhile, Ellison continues his research um, and suspects that the ghost face image from the pool is Mr. Boogie. So he starts looking for Mr. Boogie in the other videos and he finds him. He's in the bushes behind the tree with the hanging family. And Ooh, he's, which I hated. Yeah. Like I saw that and I had like a shiver. I was like, Ooh, it's like gosh. a nice verdant green bush. And then just like right there in the middle, just like the white face. Yeah, he's just like staring and yeah. you're like, ah, what's that? What's that? <laughs> um, he also spots him in the garage with the station wagon fire. Yes. Um, yeah. And so he like kind of isolates that image and zooms in and prints it. Um, but the best part, and this was another like total scream worthy moment um, seeing this in the theater, is that um, the image, the zoomed in image of Mr. Boogie from the garage is like up on his laptop screen and he's taking a phone call and he's turned away from the laptop and over his shoulder. We see that frozen JPEG image on his screen, like mm-hmm. turn and look at him. You're like, you're like make it stop. This is not good. This not is, this not so liking bad. this. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a great, great moment. Um, then um, a bit later, Ellison is reviewing um, some footage that he accidentally took of himself. I think with his phone, because he, when he's going through the house at night, he's usually using his phone flashlight. Yes, yeah, he was um, using his uh, flashlight app. Yeah. Um, And so he had accidentally taken a video or maybe he was taking a video and then it um, intentionally. But then it's just happened that when he fell through the ceiling out of the attic in the video, he sees ghostly child sized hands grabbing his shoulders and pulling him down. Don't you hate that? 
I sure do, Meredith. <laughs> it's my least favorite oh, no. thing. So many hands. It's such a pet peeve Just of mine. Just rub that spot in my shoulder where it's bothering me. <laughs> right? That would be so tight. Yeah, so Allison's probably not feeling super great right now. Oh, my God. Uh, and even even better, that night, um, he's awoken in bed by the sound of the projector running on its own. <gasps> I, I mean, cool. Um, he looks out the window into but, the like, backyard. Before that, he... Because his wife is like, you need to keep your office under lock and key. Yeah, she says that, like, repeatedly from yeah. the beginning, like, and to keep the kids out. you see him doing that um, when he leaves his office that night. And then it's Well, no, there, it's open. a later point that he, like, s- deliberately, like, box packages up and locks away the projector and the reels themselves. And then locks his office. Yeah, yeah. And then... It's just open. It's open. And it's, yeah. So, you know, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Because it, it This made, is not an accident. The, it, the film made a point of showing you everything he's so intentional yeah and then and then it wasn't like, a power surge that just no. like got it oh, going no. again <laughs> yeah it was all disassembled so something nefarious and not cool is happening <laughs> something not cool um so he looks out the window into the nighttime yard uh and sees mr boogie in the bushes like right where he his he was in the footage of the family hanging from the tree um, and then when uh, he goes outside to investigate, I mean, granted, he's armed with a baseball bat, but come on now. <laughs> I had a little bit of a... Um, you, don't you know you're in a horror movie yet? <laughs> I, when I watched Us, I had a bit of a feeling of that scene. The scene when he walks out, you know, in Us, and he's like, if you want to, you know, get crazy, we can, we can get, get crazy. crazy. <laughs> so I, had, I was like, oh, no. Nothing good happens when you run out, walk out with a baseball. No, bat. I mean a baseball bat. It, it's not, it's not nothing, but it's sure. not really that reliable a source of self defense. Especially if you're suspecting that this is a supernatural thing you're defending yourself against. So many murders across decades. Right. Really? Yeah. That's your go-to. A bat. Okay, come on. All right. Yeah. So sorry. I'm oh, on a okay. tangent. Yeah. <sighs> Okay, but so um, outside with the bat, he doesn't find Mr. Boogie in the bushes. He finds Trevor out there. Poor sweet yeah. Trevor with his night tremors and his sleepwalking and all this bullshit. All of this scaries. Yeah, he looks terrified. Um, I should mention that Trevor. He's like what, like twelve, maybe thirteen, yeah, twelve, preteenish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Ashley's a little younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know he thinks yeah. he's a big tough guy, but he's he's still a little he's boy. A sweet little boy. The thing is, like, I wondered this when I was watching it on a rewatch. I've I've seen this movie several several times. But I had never really thought about this until this time. Uh, them having these wanderings around the house and night terrors that are cropping up. Yeah. And because his mom was like, it has happened in a while. Yeah. This has not happened it's, in a and while. And then, then it gets to the point where they're like, it's never been this bad. Right. So my question is, are they being terrified by whatever is grabbing him mm-hmm. in the attic or whatever? Like, are they being also impacted haunted. Yeah. and haunted in some way Yeah, uh, on a subconscious level, mm-hmm. the, the kids? Well, and that, you know, as too, the right? more of the plot reveals itself, like that starts to make sense and lends itself to your suspicions one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, but I never really, I was like... I mean, yeah, yeah be, you have but, to go back yeah. and be, you know, thinking about it with the whole picture already in your head right. to start seeing the significance to look of back that with stuff. Like some hindsight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after Ellison carries Trevor inside, he goes back out to get his bat and flashlight and he's met with this random snarling dog. And as he's facing off with the dog behind him, we see in like this kind of foggy backlit setting, um, this row of ghoulish children just watching him. <gasps> Yeah, it had a major, um, the devil's backbone. 
Garfield. I haven't seen that. that? It's amazing. It's so good. It came out in 2001. And it's Guillermo del Toro. Okay. um, And it's it's during the Spanish Civil War and Mm -hmm. orphanage. And the children look very similar to um, the ghost kids. To nice. To those, those kids. And yeah. it's a very good movie. I highly recommend it. All right. But, um, I'll try and I, find I, it. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So next, um, it's uh, the next day, um, the deputy's reporting back with some information. And he refers Ellis to a professor to investigate the origin of the symbol that Ellis um, has noted now in multiple ones of the films. Like, he just doesn't... He recognizes it, that it's in each of them, but he doesn't know what it is. Right, Um, And so, while he's waiting to be in contact with that professor, he views the final film, which I always felt was the most disturbing out of all of them, where the Mm -hmm. family members are killed by being run over with a lawnmower. Yeah, and it's just... The music that goes with that is so jarring. Yeah. And it really is. The thing that makes this movie so impressive is that these murders are are horrific, but they're not gory or they're not presented in a gratuitous way because you don't see really the bodies being destroyed by the lawnmower. The way that they set it up visually is like you have a first person perspective of like you're the person pushing the lawnmower and it's a dark, it's at night, it's raining. And so all you can see is the lawnmower being pushed across some innocuous grass and there's not a lot of audio in that moment. And then out of nowhere, the first victim who's laying on the ground a Appears and the lawnmower goes over them and it's accompanied with this like jarring sound effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like you see the blood splattering everywhere and the, what the body looks like after. Like you don't need to see that mm-hmm. because the moment is so shocking. Well, it sounded like a like a chainsaw almost. A little bit. Like a, or like a, ha- like a table saw. Like, yeah, like, the sound effects loud. are it's just crazy. brilliant. And as viewers, we only see what Ethan talk sees. Also, like he walks away and we don't get to see. The yeah. Anytime he turns away or doesn't, you know, want to like, see a part of the this, film. We'll see him like drinking and, and being clearly like freaked out mm-hmm. and, and everything on the screen is blurred. You can't yeah. see it. Or so. sometimes it's even I think there's at least one shot where it's we can see the reflection of it in his glasses. Yeah. But only, you know, because obviously that's not a clear thing. So we have that hint of what he's looking at. Yeah. But we can't see it so fully. It's very grotesque but like we as viewers aren't scarred for life but, we, we but it's like it. it's like maybe this is what you love so much about this is because you like what's left to your imagination mm-hmm. and this and that kind of makes sense to me because in a way when a, a filmmaker does that it's like they're respecting you as the viewer that yeah. they don't need to spell it all out for you i think that's what i appreciate about this movie so much and what why I don't like a lot of, um, I call it horror porn or mm-hmm. gore, or, you know, whatever. It's like where it's just trying to make you, you know, impact all of your senses and mm-hmm. make you like disgusted. And to me, it just seems like ridiculous. Yeah, it's not very artful. Right. It doesn't take any skill to do that. Yeah. So I like what I'm not seeing yeah. more. And you know this, but yeah. I think it's way more impactful as, as far as and, and scarier. Yeah. It, it's well, and, and this like it, it took it took more thought and creativity and effort to tell the story because they were withholding elements or presenting it in a um, kind of kind of a reserved way. Um, and that almost made what you did see and what you had to determine for yourself more shocking. Definitely. 
Yeah. Um, because, and this is me where, like, you know, I'm, I should have realized the moment the footage was, you know, her pushing a lawnmower, that the lawnmower was going to be the mode of killing. But it's still that moment where that body appeared right before the lawnmower went over them. Like, well, I just remember <laughs> being just so surprised and shocked and horrified by that moment. I think I felt... I'm like, oh, well, what's, what's happening here? Ah, ah, like that kind of feeling. Yeah. Where I was surprised, too. And, and yeah, you don't you don't anticipate that. Yeah. It's like cropping up. Of, Hi, Dad. Or whoever it was on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was that was a pretty intense scene. And it, it's, it's the last film that we see. And so it's kind of like they saved, maybe he saved it for last because mm-hmm. it was the most um, shocking um, so next, Allison is video chatting with the professor, who's played by Vincent D'Onofrio, which yeah, I like. Just like a random cameo. Yeah. I kind of have mixed feelings about Vincent D'Onofrio. I, I didn't um, like a Criminal Minds, or not Criminal Minds. What was the Law and Order? Criminal Intent was the Law and Order that he was on. I never watched it. No. I like him in a lot of things. and I mean, I loved him in Men in Black, <laughs> where he was the bug. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Did this help? He's like, drinking, give me sugar and water. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was good in The Cell. He was like mm, uh, the okay. bad guy. I mean, yeah, he's been in a million films. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a little bit of a character actor because you wouldn't say he's typecast. He doesn't always play the same role. But when you see him, you're like, oh, okay, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, he's, it's just on the, he's just on the laptop screen. So. Yes. Yeah. He's very minimally in it, but it's an important role. So he um, gives Ellison all of this like super important information, tells him that the symbol that Ellison sees in the videos is associated with the worship of an obscure pagan deity named Bagul. So like Mr. Boogie, but Mr. Bo- Boogie. Bagool, Bagool is the name of the deity. Um, and he is the eater of children. Oh, that's rude. Yeah. So Bagul survives by luring children into his realm and eating their souls, as one does. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> um, so upon learning this, Allison's like, cool, thanks, hangs up, boxes up the projector and films, and locks them up. Um, and then goes to bed. But that night, he's awoken again by the projector running himself. So this is the time, like, in the previous m- times, he always locked his office, mm-hmm. but he hadn't actually locked away the projector itself. This is the first time that he's like, fuck this. And he put it all back in the box. You. But the thing is, he did say fuck this, but he ne- never said, hello, 911. Right. I got some what fu- is your emergency? I have some fucked up movies. He's yeah. like, oh, I don't know. I would love to turn this over and make it your problem. I feel like him putting them away and being like, I'm done with you. It's just like him impulsively acting. And then he thinks a little bit about it. And then it's like, you know what? Maybe I'll just watch a little more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... But so he he locks it away, like he puts it in the box, he puts it in the closet, he locks the closet, he locks the office. um, And he because what I'm thinking now is that like you really you have started seeing a little bit of a psychological unraveling for him. Mm -hmm. You do see him start drinking more. And that's actually something the deputy points out to him when he's like starting to open up to the deputy about some of this of like, Hey, I noticed there's always a whiskey bottle open in your office. Um, but so he's like drinking more, obviously he's not sleeping. All of this is horrifying and disturbing. And so you do see, start to see it taking a toll on his mental state. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so that night, um, he's awoken again by the sound of the projector running itself. Um, and, uh, 
he is walking around the dark house with his bat, his trusty bat, and we're seeing the ghoulish children appearing unseen and running all around him. Um, but he's like not, in slow motion. Yes, they're in like a weird cool. other. Um, yeah, so he's he's moving at regular speed and they're moving alongside him, but they're in slow motion. So it was a pretty cool effect. But what I put down is I thought this was probably the least scary part of the movie. I agree. Like, it was a little hokey with, like, the, like, we're going to have the ghost children skipping around him now and standing over his shoulder and going, shh, and it's like... It made me think of why I don't like some movies. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, uh, no. Let me retract. (laughs) It makes me think of why, what I don't like about some movies where you see everything all the way. Yeah. Like, I felt like at that point, I was like, eh, okay. Yeah, you're seeing the kids fully and you're like, okay, you're not that scary. Right. Yeah. And that always happens. I kind of lose interest every a time. Bit. Every time. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, this is the movie as a whole is so scary that you can kind of forgive them I did. this little bit of a misstep. I can and I did. Yeah. Um, but so he doesn't see any of these children. But when we're in Ashley's bedroom, she's a, she we think she's asleep. She's laying in her bed um, and seen by us, but not um, Ellison. She has painted Bagul on her wall and um, she is able to see one of the dead girls, the dead girl, Stephanie, crouching in the corner of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so as a child, the missing child with yeah. a little red bow in her mm-hmm. hair. Yeah. Um, so as a child, Ashley is, you can, you now know she, she can see some things that Ellison can't because obviously if she's painted Bagul, she's seen something. Um, and if she's actually able to see like the ghoul of, um, of Stephanie, Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a connection happening there. Um, and so, uh, soon, uh, Ashley ends up revealing to her parents that she can talk to Stephanie. And in the process of that conversation amongst the three of them is the moment when Tracy finally learns the truth about where they're living. Finally, mm-hmm. she finds out that the murder took place in this house. Uh, and shit hits the fan marital-wise <laughs> in that like, moment. Captain Obvious. Right. And that's that's <laughs> one of those scenes where there's this lengthy scene of the fight between Tracy and Ellison after that that is really well performed and really well written. But I was like, yeah, we can just say they fought and move on and save the time <laughs> in the recap. So I didn't go into detail on that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so well, she, that, she's basically like, cut the shit and he's like, I can't, I found something really big. And she's like, Ugh. and he's like, I'm not going to stop. Yeah. And uh, he's uh, like, this <laughs> is the meaning of my life, my legacy. And she's like, what I'm I, the meaning of your life. Your children are your legacy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's a really well-performed scene. They both do a great job. It just doesn't advance the story at all. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so that night again, um, the sound of the projector awakens Ellis, but he goes into his office and it is nowhere to be seen. The projector is not there. Um, and I put this scene hints a bit to his slowly unraveling sanity because now we really start to see in his demeanor, in his reaction, in the way that he's behaving, that he's losing it a little bit. Um, he follows the flickering light of the projector up the ladder into the attic and he sees the group of ghoulish children seated um, around, you know, a screen watching a film. And I think the one that they're watching is the tree one, is the hanging tree one. I think so, too, but I can't remember. I know it was horrifying, um, Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so then we get um, a really good jump scare because Bagul's face appears very suddenly and right in front of Ellis's face, so right in front of us mm-hmm. as the viewer. And um, 
so obviously Alice is fairly startled by that. Um, and I said that then we get some really excellent music and sound effects playing while he finally takes the films and the projector outside into the backyard and burns them. Um, Tracy comes out and being like, what is going on? He's a total mess. And he tells her that they need to move out of the house right away. Yeah. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. So he's done. Like seeing Bagul, that was it. That was it for him. Yeah. Which, I mean, for all of us, who who among us would... I'd be like, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> well. Maybe. I mean, I don't have the drive that Ellis has. I'd be like, I found these movies. I don't know how to ro- operate this. Yeah. So here you go. <laughs> this, I was like, well, I, you know, we've, I don't know. we've got you go. a year lease and I... Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm just saying I live my life in ignorance because I'd be like, Super 8's? No, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how this works. We'll, we'll just go. put the garage sale. So just the police... Here, no, here no, no professional curiosity. And then I would be living my life in ignorance with ghost children just living All my around life. around you. And who cares? Fine. If you can't see them, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Yeah. Pixar didn't happen. No, it's fine. <laughs> Which is kind of a Bagul thing. Pixar didn't happen, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah, we'll get to I'm that. Like, Bagul, <laughs> suck on this. Yeah. I'm never moving out of here. <laughs> Good luck. So they, um, they had mentioned a couple of times already that... Um, they still owned the house that they had moved from to come to this house because they mentioned like, oh, once we're not paying two mortgages or once we blah, blah, blah. And Ellison had like promised Ashley that if this book was a big hit, then they could move back to their old house and her old school and everything. So we know that that their old house is still in the picture. So soon we see they're settling back into that house. They've Which left is like an estate. Yeah, Basically. it's like a mansion. It's like Hill House. It's insane. I'm like, what? Ellis, it was you, leather bound books. You crazy bitch. Why did you even <laughs> buy this house in the first place? Yeah, asshole. He's like, Kente- um, we got that Kentucky blood money. <laughs> buy this estate and then be bummed out that I'm a loser later. Yeah, okay, and then sorry. we can go live in, live in a ranch <laughs> house. Lose my mm-hmm. house like, who, who, <laughs> who's a, made lots of money and had a hit and then one hit wonder and then lost it all. <laughs> Jimmy Eat World? <laughs> No, I was thinking more of like, um, oh man, he wore parachute pants and hammer. It's the hammer. <laughs> Ellison, um, you're the MC Hammer of the crime world. Just get over it. Just be ashamed of yourself. I love you, MC Hammer. Okay, anyway, yeah. not to no, love for you. Not to besmirch the hammer. Would never, never. He changed the world. Um, so back in their um, their old house, Ellison gets an email from the professor. Um, in it are some images, and they initi- he initiates another um, virtual chat with the professor, who explains to him that there he had a hard time locating material about Bagul because there's not very much out there, and the reason is because the superstition. Um, was that Bagul survived in the visual representations or art that is depicting him, um, as well as used that art as gateways. And so um, people that held that superstition um, protected themselves from him by destroying that art. Mm-hmm. So that's all, you know, Pixar didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this is like, oh, visual representations. You mean like films? Hmm. Um, or <gasps> sketches inside of a box lid? Hmm. Um, meanwhile, Ellison's um, mm-hmm. repeatedly declining calls coming into his cell phone from the deputy because he's just like, nope, nope, nope. It's over. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to take it. Um, but then he's horrified to find the box of reels and projector in his own attic uh, intact and unburnt. Um, and this time the box contains a small envelope labeled extended cut endings. And he's like, well, fuck. 
I guess I'm watching these. Mm -hmm. So as he matches them with the main reels, he finally takes the deputy's call and he learns that the deputies found there's a sequence to the murdered families that each family previously lived in a home of an earlier murdered family. And upon moving to a new house, they were horrifically slaughtered in some bizarre, gruesome way themselves, with one of their children disappearing in the process. And because Ellison's family lived in the house of the last murdered family and have now moved away, they are next on the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ellison's like, I don't cool. think it should count. Thanks for calling. It shouldn't count if they move back to their old house. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because I and that protest. <laughs> I protest because I that protest. happens in the second one too. Oh, I, I forgot. I blocked that second one out. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll refresh your memory in a few minutes. Um, so Ellison buckles down and begins watching the extended cuts and sees that at the end of each murder film, it is revealed that the missing child is the one that committed the murder before yeah. disappearing. Um, and as he grapples with all this new information, his head is spitting, possibly because there's a glowing green substance in the bottom of his coffee cup. His coffee cup that was brought to him along with a sweet note by his daughter, Ashley. Oh, what I have like Freon or whatever. Something like, yeah, it was it's glowing. Coolant. Coolant. <laughs> um, so the final scene of the movie is Ashley's killer cut. Uh, with Ellison, Tracy, and Trevor all laying bound on the study floor. She films them laying on drop cloths. She's wielding an axe. Um, the film does cut away, though, from the killing. We don't see her killing the family. Um, but we do see her adding her own drawing to the inside of the box lid, showing her family members hacked into pieces mm-hmm. in her drawing. And is she telling a painting party or something? Painting party, yeah. Aww. Aww, it's so cute. What a nice time <laughs> with your family. <laughs> um, and then uh, Ashley is carried into the film with the other children by Bagul himself, and mm-hmm. she vanishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's sinister. Uh, Meredith, did you think it was scary? Nah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh my god, this so movie scary. scared the crap out of me. It gave me a stomach, like a legitimate nervous stomach ache the first time I watched it, and subsequently a few times more. But I don't really get it. I know it's coming now. Yeah. But like, oh my god, just like the jarring effects of those eight millimeters the graininess of them the fact they they felt like snuff film part of it felt Mm. real in a lot of ways where i'm watching it with along with ethan hawk i'm watching with ellis as he's watching them and and having these reactions which by the way like to like uh, i'll refer to some of the notes like the commentary where it was they filmed those scenes beforehand on eight millimeter and had ethan hawk watch them and react Oh my and, god! And in real time, and they filmed him watching and reacting to these, like these fucked up movies. Oh my god! So it, it was him, like obviously genuine, he, response. genuine responses. I mean, obviously knowing it's not real, but like I thought that was very, very cool, and I felt like I was in it too when mm-hmm. we when you watch it with him. And I also loved um, he's watching them in his office, and it's all dark. Everything's dark except you see him. And you see him watching the film, or he's working on his computer, and it's completely dark. And, like, half of the screen is black. Yeah. And you're like, what is in those shadows? What is, <laughs> what's over there? Is there, like, a ghost kid? Is Bagul over there? 
but before you even know what it is, you're like something is we something's going on. What is what is around him? Yeah. And you kind of realize like when you move into a new home or whatever, you tend to only have like not have a good sense of lighting or where things go or like have your lamps set out. So he yeah. just he starts working and he's just at his dark dark ass dark office ass office and and it's like watching it on the sheet like it's a sheet pin he like yeah. thumbtacks a sheet on the wall to show this pro- projection on it's like that's so creepy it's like a little wrinkled and stuff and you're yeah. like oh all the puckering on the edges Ugh. and yeah you're watching him have these genuine reactions as it turns out and then yeah. <laughs> and then he's like drinking heavily and i'm like i would be drinking a bunch of double triple bourbons myself yeah. glug 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 and um <laughs> It's just so scary, and and yeah, my felt I felt like my stomach hurt, like my heart was in my throat, and it wasn't because it was disgusting, and no, and, and because it did they didn't disgust you. Yes, they weren't cheap like that. It didn't feel like a hostel or a, mm-hmm. a saw or something where someone's chopping bones and, and like, you're seeing burning. every angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I I I thought it was so well executed mm-hmm. no pun intended <laughs> well done <laughs> um, but also one part that i loved of, so much about the movie is it was so scary and horrifying and you know how i love the comedic relief when mm-hmm. it's actually really good yeah so um was it jason rando J- james ransom james ransom ransom yeah he's so he's so funny and i one part where i loved when he he comes to talk to ellis and he's like, you've been drinking a lot. Hey, 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 no judgment, no judgment. And then, and Alice is like trying to get him to sort of reassure him in a way, the mm-hmm. deputy, like, it's fine, right? It's, this is fine. Yeah, it's you know, no big deal. It's not a big deal, right? And then he's like, you don't believe in this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. To the deputy. And Alice is like, are you kidding me? I de- of course I believe in all this stuff. I would sleep one night in this place. Are you nuts? And then I was laughing so hard. Yeah, he's so perfect. It seemed like such a genuine response. Yeah. And also, I was like so anxious and nervous. And that like, it was just like, I was like, ah. like, I remember like laughing when I was watching this by myself alone mm-hmm. and, and being so scared. Yeah. And it was just fantastic. And just, I recommend this to anyone that's like, I just really want to be scared. Yeah. It doesn't have to be gruesome and horrible. Mm-mm. I'm like, well, it infers, but it's, yeah, it's so... It's practically perfect in so every way. So good. It's so good. <laughs> Do you think it's scary? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So I, you know, it scared the shit out of me when I saw it in the theater. I've watched it myself at home probably maybe four or five times over the years I do have the DVD and anytime I watch if it's nighttime when I watch it and it is one of those where visually it's so dark that you really can't watch it during the day on a TV because the glare even if you have your like blinds closed or whatever the glare makes it hard to appreciate a lot of the scenes because the scenes are extremely dark Mm -hmm. Um, but if I'm watching it at home at night it's like I am within 20 minutes like can't walk down the hallway without turning all the lights on. Can't walk past a, an open door to an empty room without looking and making sure there's nothing in there. Like, I am fucking spooked. The ghoul. Totally. And it's it's nothing... It's nothing clear or tangible or whatever. It's just it sets you on edge. Like, mm-hmm. you're you're uncomfortable. You're nervous. Um, and it's it's just so perfect in that way. Like, just the few elements that it did so, so very right. The music being one of them. Oh, um, amazing. 
it it puts your your like whole your whole mind your whole body into this place of being just creeped out and uncomfortable and ready for something terrible and it's going to be way worse than you could possibly imagine um it it really scared me and it's still like pretty scares me pretty pretty good depending on the circumstances that I watch it under when I rewatch it even though I know every scene and everything that's about to happen it still scares me yeah for sure it's Oh I cannot <laughs> say the same as much for the sequel. Um, I watched it once and then pushed it from my mind, like yeah. I mentioned. So I I own it also. Um, and I've probably, I rewatched it last night and today, just so that it was fresh in my memory um, to touch on. And um, that's, it was maybe like the third time I'd seen it. And I gotta say, like... G- the only character that it carries forward is the deputy is James Ranson mm-hmm. and he is the only redeeming quality in the movie and it's well I love him yeah. so much like in it yes oh my god yeah he he's brings amazing. that that <laughs> charm that in it he's a little bit more acerbic and in this one he's he's um kind of like sweet and a little goofy mm-hmm. um but he he's so humorous without being like outright jokey funny Mm -hmm. um and i think that that maybe is what made the tone of the second one not land because there was since he was kind of the main character there was almost too much of that yeah um and then to juxtapose it so basically the the premise of the second one is that after Ellison and his whole family die at the end of the first one, Deputy then kind of makes it his mission to try and um, stop this pattern, stop the cycle. And so he starts, ident- he's like tracing it down and following the links and everything and burning down houses. Because if the house is burned down, then a new family can't move into it and then it'll break the chain. And um, his process takes him to a house that he thinks is abandoned. He's ready to burn down, but it turns out that a mom and her two sons are hiding there from her abusive ex mm-hmm. and um the two sons are being pursued or plagued or whatever by bagul because that house was a setting of one of the killings and um they have you know the same idea where the kid this time it's the kids that are being forced to watch the snuff films by the ghost children um which is another thing that doesn't really land super well mm-hmm. um and it's like they tried to level up the horrificness of the manners of death in the films to a point where it's like it not that it got to saw level but it was like i mean there was one where you know he electrocuted his family like he flooded the kitchen and they were all tied up on the floor and then he you know put rubber boots on himself and electrocuted the water and you see the family like you know zapping and dancing until they and their arms catch on fire and all of that there's one where he somehow this kid suspends the family members above a lake and alligators leap out of the lake and eat the individual family members from where they're hanging from whatever they're hanging from so it's like kind of hokey and bizarre and a little too over the top yeah, yeah um 
And then the final one that, like, in theory would be the most upsetting one that took place at the house where the kid, the family is currently living was in a church and all of the family members are laying on the ground and they put, it's that whole thing, they did this in Game of Thrones too, where they trapped a rat underneath like a metal bowl and then you put a candle on the bowl so the heat, the rat is trying to escape the heat from the bowl and they do it by burrowing through the body mm-hmm. beneath them. Um, and so it's like... It loses a lot of the scariness because it's just too over the top. And so then you have those, like, super, super gruesome um, death films. And then you have, like, cheeky, adorable, lovable sheriff kind of carrying the story. And it just doesn't jive. Yeah, I... I, I remember watching the movie and I just was, like, eye-rolling. I'm like... Oh, yeah, especially yeah, when the first one is that good. Yeah, it's you know, hard to have, have, you know, have a sequel that is... Anywhere near. up to that, yeah. Because yeah. so, there's so also, good. like, you're not revealing anything new. Yeah. So the, the element of surprise or originality is gone. Right. Yeah. So, it yeah, it just like didn't work. Cash grab. Yeah. Unfortunately. For sure. And, uh, oh. Did you have any other interesting, like, facts um, or trivia about it? Well, I did have some about just, like, how it got made, the process, a little bit of, like, um, you know, notes that <laughs> Ethan Hawke got while he was filming mm-hmm. it. So the first thing I thought was kind of cool, and it brings back, uh, uh, it mentions one of my favorite movies, The Ring, and um, the right one of the writers, it's uh, writer-director Scott Derrickson and Robert Cargill, C. Robert Cargill, Cargill? Um, he wrote it as well. And he said he, um, he ha- the original idea was, you know, he had a nightmare after watching The Ring, which it, and, um, you know, he said he found in the, I think in the dream maybe, that he found a box of Super 8 reels containing gruesome imagery. Um, and it was after watching that horrible scary weird movie the ring which i love uh-huh. um that he like kind of came up with that and, yeah. and wrote, wrote the movie which reminded me a little bit of it follows too which is also based on a scary dream oh that yeah was um so keep those scary dreams coming because a lot of really good content is coming <laughs> coming out of that um let's see and then cargill we you know we mentioned like he didn't go in depth about like the arguments that he had it, 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 that Ellis had with Tracy. Yeah, but a lot of those are from your life, kind of. Oh boy, you know that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the chasing of, um, you know, your career success, and, success yeah. at, at what cost, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, there was a lot of depth to his character and his that I didn't go into because. You know, it, it fleshed out his character, but it wasn't like, like I said, moving the story or the plot along. But maybe that's part of what made the movie feel so legitimate and real mm-hmm. was because of how genuinely you were really seeing their humanity, their struggles, his like, you know, it shows on two separate occasions, him going back and watching recordings of talk show appearances that he did when Kentucky blood came out. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like him talking about how I would never write a book for, you know, money or whatever. It's all about the justice. And then the, another, like after their big fight, he's watching another interview where he's talking about how, you know, his, why, like meeting his wife changed everything for him and so you do get a lot of development in their individual characters mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily like a normal horror movie wouldn't bother with that because it's not 
an event that's occurring, that's something scary that's happening, but them taking the time um, to invest in those characters in that way probably contributed a lot to just the feel of the movie overall. Yeah, I think so too. And he just seemed like, well, I mean, I love Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Anyway, he's amazing. He's so good. But it just, yeah. And handsome. And handsome. And and he's called out and he's like, what? I don't even, I don't even know. Mm. But like not in a cheesy bullshit way where it's sort of like, where I'm like, well, maybe not. Oh, wait, no. I know he's a liar. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. Oh, Hawk wanted a Bennington College shirt for Ellis to wear. Mm -hmm. Because he said, this just goes... He, he talked about how he just thought it was a, it, it is a very ex- expensive school and it's elitist and it's definitely the school that Ellison would have gone to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Which I thought that was kind of um, mindful. Yeah, well, about- it's a little bit of method acting because nobody's going to know that. They didn't talk about it in the movie. It was just yeah. there. Right, exactly. And then um, Derrickson, one of the writers, talked about um, the the night terrors scene is came from his own experience with his own child who would just have night he would have night terrors like that too where just would like look at him they his eyes would be wide open Mm -hmm. his sons and they he would just like scream holy terror can't imagine at him which is sounds very scary yeah would not be a good thing for a parent who watches horror movies to have uh develop in their child Oh my god, I would probably die. I have actually a um, a story when we found out when my son, who is now almost sixteen, was little, that when he takes Tylenol before bed, he would have kind of a a not a great reaction, like mentally, and so he would often like have bad dreams or wake up or sleep fitfully, like Tylenol just kind of interfered with his brain chemistry or whatever. Um, and I remember when my daughter was like kind of a newborn so I was still getting up with her nursing at night and so it was my husband's job to go to Tommy's room if he woke up which he almost never did and there's one night when Tommy woke up and so my husband went off and then I'm still laying in bed and then he comes back a little while later and I'm like half asleep in bed and I go you know is everything okay and he goes yeah no he was just sitting up in bed facing the wall and like muttering something and like doing something weird with his hands and I was like okay, well, did you press a crucifix to his head and set him on fire? Because that's what needs to happen right now. I was like, it's so good that he was the one to go down. Because if I, in Latin. Right. If I had walked into that room and opened the door and seen like, that, I would have been like, I'm out of here. I would not have set foot in that room. I'm like, that boy is the devil and he needs to get gone. Get gone. Gots to go. Um. Oh, I, I mentioned the uh, James Renson scene with Ellis where he's like what are you kidding I went to sleep at night here you nuts um, he said that Cargill and Derrickson were, were uh, he, talking to each other during the filming saying did we write a Coen Brothers scene into our movie oh god and he talked about how they blew the first take because the sound of their laughter coming from the other room oh my um, god like infiltrate like it it got it. through yeah so oh, that's funny I'm like oh, so it wasn't just I mean it was very good so yeah 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 it was amazing uh, let's see. What else? It's like if the people that wrote the scene are laughing, like, are that... Just, like, his delivery was yeah. on point. It was so good. Um, oh, there's one part which I thought was so cool. So they had to film the the movie in different... Um, not in Out of order, sequence, which yeah. Which happens a Very lot. Very common. Yeah, super common. Which is so weird. Like, someone who's not in the industry, you're like, how, how and why would you do that? I guess it's, like, when you can get what's 
set to yeah, win or come locations. On. I, have I mean, no you idea. can plan most of that. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. <laughs> so, um, so he Hawk has has to escalate fear and have you know like how scared does he have to be? And um, he the scene where as Katie mentioned, he looks in the annex he sees the ghost kids and there's Bagul's face right in his face and Derrickson told Hawk that he you know you know he was pretty scared in the bathtub and training day when they're about to shoot you um but you're scared like it has to be worse than that like you being scared um because there's a moment where her eyes roll back oh oh shoot I just I missed a, a sentence he refer he references the shining where oh. Shelley Duvall is running and the axe is coming through the door. He said, and the there's a moment where her eyes practically rolled to the back of yeah. her head yeah. of, out of fear. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that is the most afraid a person's ever looked in cinematic history. Like, that might it, be true. I as much as I hate her and I hate <laughs> her role in that movie, that's yeah. probably true. Oh, my God. And and it's like what it, like so it's genuine. Notorious, notorious for yeah. being horrifying. So. I thought that was really cool because it references like two of my some of my favorite movies, yeah, yeah. Trading Day and and The Shining, and uh, the end part um, scene where he uh, where Ashley is like, "Don't worry, Daddy, I'll make you famous again." Oh, oh my god, god. so scary. Um, so I already mentioned that Hawk watched the movies for the first time, and you see as the audience his actual genuine reactions, which yeah. I thought was amazing. And then um, the pool scene was pra- done practically with actors who were actually tied to pool chairs being pulled into the water. Oh, so like um, how long can you hold your breath? <laughs> there are professional divers in the pool waiting to give oxygen. Wasn't there? Um, oh, it was Black Christmas that had uh, that girl that had been a diver. And so yes. she could do the scene with the bag yeah. over her head. I think, yeah, well, they kept showing her. They're like, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. like, look how long I can hold my breath. I'm amazing. <laughs> um, and then the actor who played Bagul, he wore height weights and height and shoes mm-hmm. so he could um be bigger stand at the bottom of the pool. You could see, oh. his, see him like standing. Oh, okay, there. see I could I think that they probably could have done that digitally. So I think that's pretty cool that they actually Had him down there, like, put him down up. there to get that <gasps> so footage. Creepy. And also this is my last little tiny note. Um twenty twenty Forbes magazine rated Sinister as one of the scariest movies ever made where they did a study and participants had to have their vitals monitored. <gasps> oh my god! It. Yes. Um, so it's one of the top, and I was like, "Yes, yes it, absolutely." I'm glad when science backs us up. Me too. <laughs> so that's all I had to add about that. But yeah. I thought there were fun little tidbits. I love the process of film making, oh, yeah. especially um, when it's such a good movie. So. Yeah, when something when they do a piece of work like this, you want to know, like, understand how and why. They were yeah. able to make something that was so much better than so much other stuff. Yes. You know, yeah. like, the, what what did you do differently? What how what was your process that made the end result so much better? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, the one thing that um, came up kind of when I was doing the synopsis and then also I forgot to mention it with the um, the sequel, the idea of the um, the children being kind of um, hunted by Bagul a little bit um, because with uh, 
with Ashley and Trevor, I feel like what they were kind of setting you up for with Trevor and his night terrors and everything is that he was going to be the child that Bagul kind of utilized to kill the family because he at first he was the one that was being targeted but then it was like oh well now Ashley's the one that can see Stephanie and she's talking to her and so I think that keeping that part a little ambiguous and uncertain um, was a good strategy too until the climax right yeah because I mean you people who are very canny about horror movies probably would have realized sooner that it's like oh it's the child doing the killing the missing child is the one doing the killing but if you were somebody who didn't really fully grasp that or put it together until Ellison's character finds out at the end then um, it would be like well you know which child because they've kind of shown you both children suffering in some way and like you were saying like his night terrors and them talking about him having a history of this stuff before like was it exposure to the things that Ellison had done or is he being you know tormented now because Bagul is in this house with them yeah Um, you don't know and and Tracy mentions like they've seen stuff because you were careless, you know. No, you like left you, your door you have, open. Yeah, and and there's some, your your father researches and and you know his work. He looks at focuses on horrible, terrible things. And, yeah, and he's like, thanks a lot. And yeah, she's like, well, yeah. you know, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I also love. Um, I didn't really say much about this, but like we talk about a little bit of the um, the relationship between him and his wife. But he talks about how like he would lose his soul. Basically, if he had to write textbooks. Oh, yeah. You know, he's like, that's, you know, soul sucking. I can't mm-hmm. do that. And 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 you're like, essentially, he like sacrificed himself and his family because of his pride and him yeah. saying, like, I can't, I can't, I won't, I won't do that. Yeah. I goeth before a fall, <sighs> as we say during Lent. During lunch. <laughs> and it's full circle. Full circle. Go back to lunch. Uh, but no, with the, with the <laughs> kids, um, because that was one thing that they mirrored a little bit in the sequel. Because um, even though one of the things that the sequel didn't do well was that it was the kids watching the the move, the films instead of, you know, Ellison's character watching the films in the first one. But you had these two brothers and one was very vulnerable and one was a total dick. And it was the vulnerable one that the ghost children was making watch all of the films and so the whole time you you believe that he's the one that they're trying to like groom essentially mm-hmm. to commit the murder for Bagul and be taken and then at the end when he finally like puts his foot down and says I'm not going to watch anymore I'm not going to do anything and they're like that's okay it wasn't for you anyway and it turned out that it was his asshole brother that they were you know and so that that whole you know, they tried to do it with the second one as well. But, you know, this idea of if it's the kid killing the family, we're like, well, which kid is it? Like this kid's going through this, but this kid's doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so keeping that keeping you guessing in that element, um, I think was a good it was, it was pretty mild in the first one. I don't think it was a big element of the evolution of the story. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then they tried to do it again in the second one. And like everything else in the second one, it didn't totally land. Yeah. I don't know. I thought about watching it again, and I was like, eh. Yeah, no, I think fine. I'm okay. I'll, I'll take the take the bullet for everybody. Take the bullet for me. Yeah. But so on the topic of kids, you know, our parent corner that we try to remember mm-hmm. to close with. Um, yeah. yeah. What would you say about this for parent corner, My Meredith? child cannot watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Ever? <sighs> no, I mean, I would say, like, she's going to turn 13 soon. Maybe after... Maybe another year of watching a spattering of different movies that I've curated, like horror movies mm-hmm. that I've... 
I think maybe she could watch it. It's just, it's so, if it gave me a stomachache, yeah. basically like the queen of scary. Yeah. Like, boy, nothing scares me. Yeah. You have ice this in your did. veins. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, I'm like, will this ruin my child? Where For she's life. Like, like this, there's no coming back the window, from that. Seeing Bagul's face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very intense. Not because of what you see, but what, like what we talked about, like can infer and. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. With Grace for a long time, when we would like go through my book of uh, horror movie DVDs and talk about which ones like, oh, you could do this one. And oh, maybe this one would be okay. Um, And with this one, I always said like, nope, never. Like Mm -hmm. you can see that when you're a grown up, like that's, it's too scary. It's too scary. And I would kind of joke sometimes when I talk to people, I'm like, why would I show my kid a movie about children killing their families <laughs> like why move is out. that a good plan she can move out. <laughs> um yeah but then of course you know she continued to get older continued to watch scary movies got more and more desensitized and she's she's actually probably a little more like you than me with scary movies in terms of how they they don't affect her quite as much or in quite the same way mm-hmm. as they do with me um cuz i don't think she really gets spooked or creeped out the way that i do yeah. Um, even now, like at, at my age, my advanced age and movies <laughs> that I've already seen like multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, a movie like this still, you know, gives me, gives me the creeps. Um, and she's not, I don't think that she's really like that. And so for this one, she did watch it. I think she was probably 13 by the time, um, we got to it. And I was like, and I told her on many occasions, it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. Um, and she watched it and it was like, she was like, yeah, that was scary. And then just went about her life. Like mm-hmm. the cold hearted <laughs> little thing <laughs> she is. Um, but then the other funny thing is I have a student who um, had asked me just earlier this year, because all my students know that, you know, I love horror movies and we talk about it all the time. And Halloween, I have all this stuff up in my classroom and my door decoration still has all the horror movie characters on it. And um, one student, she goes, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? And I said, Sinister. And she was like, oh, my gosh, what is it about? I'm like, nope, I'm not going to You don't need to know what it's about. It's too scary. Like, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Then she (laughs) comes up to me in the morning assembly line, like just a couple weeks ago, being like, Mrs. Kale, I watched Sinister. And I was like, you did what now? (laughs) So she's a sixth grader. No, no, no. No. You sweet baby angel. You can't watch that. And I was like... (laughs) I mean, I'm going to speak to your mother because what was she doing? And that was the thing, like her mom didn't um, like didn't watch it with her like completely. I think she kind of the way she was talking about it, because I was like, what did your mom? And she was like, oh, she wasn't in the room at that part. And so she was like kind of coming and going. And I'm like, what? I'm like, like closing my eyes like <laughs> parents that. I mean, I show Grace stuff she shouldn't see. I freely admit that. But I don't show her stuff that I've never seen, that mm-hmm. I don't know what it, what's going on with it and what's happening in it. And so it's like, at least if I'm, you know, making a bad choice, it's an educated bad choice. Yeah. I was like, oh my really, really surprised that her mom, because I feel like her mom, because I know her mom well, she was a leader in our Girl Scout troop. She used to work at the school. Um, I feel like if she had seen the movie and knew anything about the movie, she would not have let her daughter watch it from what I know of her. So that just means totally, that she yeah. just didn't bother. I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking because maybe, something maybe similar. I heard this is good. I should watch this. Oh, your teacher said it was good. Oh, then that means it's okay. 
like, you know me. I'm not giving authorized recommendations. Um, But there was another, earlier this year, um, a girl who's in my fifth grade class starts, every time she's coming to school and she's pulling out her SSR book, it's it. She's reading it as a fifth grader. And so I was having, um, no, 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 it was, it was our spring or our fall parent teacher conferences with her mom. And I was like, Hey, so I noticed she's reading it. And her mom is like, yeah. And I was like, have you read it? And she goes, no. And I was like, okay. So I mean, to start with, there's a gang rape scene at the end. Well, it's not gang rape, but you know, like of children, it's of children all having an orgy at the end. And she goes, what? And I was like, and in addition, I mean, there's a, you know, that wasn't on the ABC special. Right. (laughs) Um, And it's like, we know that that's far from the most, I mean, it may be the most problematic element in the book, but there's also the, I love that book so much. Um, you know, the, the murder of the gay character where, you know, it's like, there are a lot of elements in that that are like, not for a fifth grader. Very and triggering. So I was like, I tried yeah. very like, um, you know, respectfully be like, oh, well, it's got, you know, there's like this. And I was like, you know, I hand to God, he's my favorite author. I love his books. I love this book. It's excellent. I just thought, you know, and if you are OK with her reading that, no judgment whatsoever. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that this was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. And so then I um, that night when I got home, like I pulled out my copy and I like figured out like what chapter or a couple of like the more problematic things happened into it. And I texted her and I was like, OK, so like, you know, this on in my copy, it's page blah, 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 blah. Because she's got like one of the giant like new prints that are, you know, it's not the little pocket paper book of mine. But I um like here go grab her book read this chapter read this chapter just for your information of like you know so that you can decide if you want to pull the plug on this project um and she was at um we had our school i mentioned and i think one of the previous episodes our, teeth. yeah <laughs> our school crab feed and you know all the parents are just totally shit-faced to this crab feed and we're all out on the dance floor and everything and she's out on the dance floor and she goes thank you again so much for telling me about it. Like, as she's, like, gyrating and, like, shaking her ass, I'm like, no problem. It's all part of the job. It's all part of the job. Well, you'll have to curate, like, more child-friendly Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's a lot easier to sanitize a movie for your kid than a book. It is. To be like, okay, we're fast-forwarding through this scene. Here's redacted... Right, a redacted copy redacted of it. Copy. <laughs> I just start tearing pages out. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like black sharpie all through the orgies. For sure, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I don't think that Grace know. is read because when she first wanted to start reading Stephen King, she was still pretty young, and the only one I would let her even touch was the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I don't know if it's because that's not a particularly captivating Stephen King book, or because she was too young, but she didn't end up finishing it. Yeah. At this point, I would probably let her read any because there's not going to be anything in there that she's not aware of. He has a way of just like inserting random weird things where you're like, ugh. And yeah, then, and, and, and just like, like really like bizarre sex stuff. Yeah, out, and, out of nowhere. And it's like, of, okay, moving on, and you're like, well, uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't even. I just read something 
weird. Yeah. But okay. And I can't remember if it was a conversation that I had with Grace or it was someone else about how he uses the N-word pretty freely. He does, And yeah. the, I don't know if we say the F-word or whatever, but um, the slur for homosexuals that um, he uses. But it's like, it's always in the context of a bad person saying it. Yeah, it's always You know, it's not like it's part of his narration. Yeah. You know, and so I, I always, I don't find it offensive because I see it as his way of demonstrating what a bad person this is, is that's the kind of language or terms that they would use. Um, but just the fact that like it's in there. this guy is a real piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> I know, um, yeah. But that makes yeah. it problematic too, of kids, because sure. they they need to they they need to be front loaded. Like when we showed my kids Blazing Saddles for the first time, we're like they use terms in this that are absolutely not okay to say. Yeah. But Mel Brooks is do it's called satire. Like you need to be old enough to understand what satire is, what the social commentary he's trying to make was, and why he's using this language that is so deeply offensive. Yeah. Um, and even oh, being all aware aware of all of that, some people still don't think that it's funny or don't think that it's okay but you certainly could not show that to a young person who does not understand that because then otherwise you're just basically saying it's okay to say this stuff yeah because they said it in that movie or they said it in this book yeah it's 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 hard to like because there's so much good like content to like you know but then as a parent it's hard to also know yeah nothing's perfect nothing's completely clean (laughs) yeah but at the same time, you're like, shield my child forever? Yeah. No. no they okay. gotta... Well, how about just not this year? Yeah. I'm not well, letting like... Charlotte watch Sinister. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's about it's about years. front-loading them. It's like, if you've done your research, if you're prepared, and you know what the problematic stuff is, just before you set them loose, you'd be like, this is in this, and this is in this, and this is that, and this is why they did it. Or it's like when Grace was little and she really liked musicals. We're off on a total tangent now. Um, That's fine. <clears throat> but it was... Uh, when I you can turn it off. Absolutely. Feel free. Give us five stars. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but when she saw... When I showed her Breakfast at Tiffany's for the first time, and having to talk to her about Mickey Rooney's like highly, highly offensive representation of a Chinese man. It was like a white actor doing a very offensive caricature of a Chinese yuck, man. Yuck. Triple um, yuck. Yeah. All bad. But it's like, do you throw out the entire movie because of that? I mean, some people might say yes, but if you don't want to, then, you know, what I did when we were watching it is, you know, it's like, okay, we got to that part and it was like a little bit of a pause and be like, hey, so this, this is, is actually awful. not cool. And this movie was made a long time ago when people of different races weren't represented in Hollywood. And so all of these like white filmmakers had free reign to just make anybody look however they wanted because there was nobody speaking up saying, hey, that's messed up. Don't do that. Or taking a culture and be like, this is mine to represent in a way I want to. And yeah. Um, and so yeah. In, in that way, it's really it's really educational because that's a conversation that you might not have with your kid otherwise. And so, you know, she was young pretty young because this was when i was like couldn't show her horror movies yet so we were watching old movies and musicals um but after breakfast at tiffany's then like not long after we were watching thoroughly modern millie which is um julie andrews and carol channing and um, mary tyler moore and it has it's not it's not as offensive because it's actual asian actors playing the characters even though it's pat marita a japanese man playing a chinese character um but they still do that Mm -hmm. um but the um, Chinese characters are the bad guys. 
-hmm. They're like evil Chinatown people in the fireworks factory. I mean, it's like still very offensive. Um, And so, but because she'd seen Breakfast at Tiffany's, we'd had that dialogue. I'm like, okay, well, here's another instance of a movie being made in a time period where they had these, you know, racist, offensive representations because there wasn't the presence of anybody else in the industry. Like they weren't allowing anybody else into the industry that would push back against this and say that it's not appropriate. Yeah. Or have voices. Exactly. That that were heard in any kind of way. So it's like, you don't need to throw the art out entirely because it has that unsavory or unacceptable stuff in it, but it's like, you just have to use it as a teaching tool. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important to like, know, to have these conversations and to, to like teach your kids to, you know, how to react to different things. Yeah. And all that, especially scary movies. Yeah, because so like in Sinister, <laughs> a teaching opportunity for how to edit Super 8 film. I, you know, and as I said, I would just live in ignorance. Yeah, I'd be like, well, yeah. I don't know what this is. Or, or maybe it's Bye. about honesty within a marriage. Maybe that's the, the, <laughs> the theme. <laughs> Tracy, you should have Googled where you were moving. Yeah. Just because he's that That's handsome, on you that you okay. yeah, we're Just blaming the victim. <laughs> <laughs> victim blaming. Absolutely, we are here for it. Um, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. No, we're <laughs> absolutely not not supporting victim no, blaming no, no, whatsoever. Not at all. But I would have. Um, so for our next movie, we are going <gasps> to talk about Dawn of the Dead, the remake. The from remake. 2004. My. Favorite, favorite. We both favorites. adore this movie, so don't. This it's going to be like this episode about Sinister. Don't expect a lot of criticism. I know. We're just talking about like gushing, talking about how great it is. We're just going to be fangirling. That's fine. That's fine. But yeah, so it was twenty fourteen. No, two thousand four. Two thousand four that it came out. Maybe I did. I don't know. It's all writing together, people. I don't even know anything. That's but okay. But it's the remake. So it's got. It's got. Sarah Polly's the star, but it's got like Mackay Pfeiffer in it too, or something. Doesn't it, it has like a whole smattering of a kind of like of people that it's, you, it, faces you I feel recognize. like oh, um, Phil Dunphy, who is he's that, in it. He's yes. in it. Yeah, it's and got Stampa, Stampa, You know, um, the he was the advisor in House of Cards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has a very cool kind of voice, but yeah. then in this movie he's like not like yeah. that guy at all. But he's really just good be too. prepared for a whole slew of familiar faces, a lot of great character actors. It's a really, really great movie. It's great. So if you haven't watched it, watch it. Watch it. We'll talk about it next time. Yes, we will. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.